Welcome to Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley and Pete Sampson. It's Monday, August 13th. We've seen a couple practices, had a ton of interviews, opportunity to talk to Brian Kelly a couple times, and obviously we're going to talk about the Notre Dame quarterback situation, but before we get into that, let's talk about some of the other positions that seem to be uh, rounding into shape, and maybe some that, that aren't necessarily, but I think Nick Coleman coming out of Thursday uh, and Saturday as well, you know, we consider, at least I, I, I know, Tim, you do too, consider this a, a good thing that a guy that started 13 games last year has emerged. Not everybody feels that way because he wasn't a playmaker last year, but I think we saw signs at least last Thursday that he was a guy that's starting to react to things better, jump some routes, and do some good things back on the last, last line of defense. I also think it's telling that when someone asked about Aluki Gilman, um, after Saturday's practice, because Gilman was coming out for interviews, Brian Kelly said, yes, he has been very good, but I want to talk more about Nick Coleman. That, he said Nick Coleman's been the best guy back yeah. there. It's, we believe, the question was, was logical, we've never seen Gilman not run with the first string since the spring, right. so that's why it was asked, but Coleman has forced his way in. I mean, now there is no one that could project anything but those two starting at safety on day one. Yeah, I, and I wonder how much, let's say, Houston Griffith is 100% healthy. Does Nick Coleman have as good of a camp as he has had just because he doesn't maybe have the opportunity? I I don't know. But, I, I mean, it goes back to something Priester asked Kelly after the first practice down at Culver. is like, do you think you have a three-for-two competition for safety? And those three were Gilman, Jalen Elliott, and Houston Griffith. Well, now they have a four-for-two. So whether you're sort of in the camp of totally believe me, everything that Brian Kelly said about Nick Coleman or what we've seen, which has been good stuff, um, it, I, I think probably the biggest benefit for Notre Dame is they feel like they have four safeties that can play, whereas I think when last year started, they felt like they had zero. It'll be interesting to see what they do with Coleman in terms of, of nickel and dime, how that impacts Elliott, because maybe when when Coleman is playing nickel... I just don't think he El- will often, right? Yeah, well, I, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, there's still a lot of unanswered questions, but I think it's a, certainly, I think we all agree, it's a good sign to Nick Coleman stuff forward. That's what you want. I mean, you want a guy that has experience where the light goes on and whether that light went on because they were kind of counting them out and just like moving on to the next the next phase or or, or, or not. It doesn't really matter. What matters is that he's shown, um, you know, opposite uh, Gilman and we've seen what Griffith can do. And, you know, Elliot's going to have to fight for his playing time now. I thought one of the comments that Brian Kelly made, and first of all, let me say this. It's funny to me how, you know, sometimes you can mention a young, inexperienced running back and, and he'll immediately say, well, pass protection. We have not heard one single thing about Jafar Armstrong and Avery Davis as far as pass protection. Uh, but we do continue to hear good things about what they're doing in the running game, catching the football, especially Armstrong. And the comparison that Kelly made to Jafar Armstrong was to Theo Riddick and that piques everybody's interest because Theo Riddick was a good player. Oh, I mean, let's also, like, what Theo Riddick are we talking about? Are we talking about USC Theo Riddick in 2012, or are we talking the guy who couldn't field a punt in 2011? I think Brian Kelly only remembers the 2012 version of Theo Riddick. But, like, it it took a while for Theo Riddick to be, whoa, Theo Riddick. No, probably true, but the versatility that he offered, certainly that's a a favorable comparison. I think think the toughness was involved with Brian Kelly's... Because he keeps talking about Jafar Armstrong, you can't break him. Right. You know, he's, this isn't the same thing as games, but Jafar Armstrong just can go and go and go. Theoretic, 
was the guy that got short yardage. Remember, they, they were, a, until last year, they were a struggling short yardage team forever. Yeah. He was the short he, yardage he, guy. Yeah, I mean, he, was a, he was a warrior down the stretch yeah. of his college career. There's no doubt about it. But that, you know, I mean, it, you'd like to hear those kind of comparisons. I think we've all been impressed with Jafar Armstrong, really dating back to the spring. And that gives you some hope because this running back situation, you know, Again, we don't we don't ever need to see the number when Dexter Williams carries it. When he does, yeah. you know he's the fastest, best running back they have out there. We also are ninety five percent certain that he will not be playing in the first four games of the season. Just 95. Is it higher than that? <laughs> yeah. I had a little wiggle room there. Just I went in from one hundred to ninety nine point nine when I saw him <laughs> running so fast against in, in warmups yesterday. Yeah, you know, Tony Jones. I know we have a question in segment two about Tony Jones, and we'll talk about that uh, a little bit further along with Dexter Williams, but. You know, I mean, I think we're being, a lot of people are being very overly optimistic about this running back situation. Williams won't be there for four games. Tony Jones maybe they'll look a little bit quicker, but is, is he a bell cow back? And you don't really know about the other two, and you certainly don't know about the freshman who've been a little bit banged up. Yeah, I mean, Tony Jones has been okay, but it's, I mean, I think, O'Malley, you would, you were on the Tony Jones bandwagon at this time last year. Yeah. I think that last year he probably turned more heads than he has this year. Yes, um, about it up. You know, I, I think Jafar Armstrong and Avery Davis have looked intriguing, but I wouldn't go any farther right. than that. No, I agree. You know, there there are guys that when they get on the field against Michigan, it's not it's not like the safety discussion <laughs> that we've had before. Where like, would they really start Houston Griffith against Michigan or play him a lot? Probably not. But I don't think they're going to be able to afford not to do Avery Davis and Jafar Armstrong against Michigan based on the depth of that position. And those will be the first snaps for those guys at a new position on top of that, that's that's just a really difficult ask against any defense, never mind Michigan's. It's they need the, they need at least one of them to be good against yeah. Michigan. They need Tony Jones to be the best he could possibly be and one of those two to be good against Michigan. And then you have a couple games where those guys are probably gonna look pretty good. You're I, gonna get Avery Davis in space against Ball State and he is going to look yeah. outstanding. But that's not the way the rest of the season's going no, to go. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit beyond intrigued with Armstrong, but I hear where you're coming from, yeah. Pete. I mean, I, I get it. He's They're, they're both of them. They're redshirt freshmen. They've, they've never played, so we don't know how to handle it. And they have to play against a great defense in their first game. To put a bow on that, I'm really intrigued by Armstrong, too. But if Dexter Williams and Tony Jones and Deion McIntosh were all here, I don't think Armstrong would be getting in until the Ball he'd State pr- game, maybe. He'd probably still be a receiver. Well, he would be. He well, yeah, let's, let's drop one guy off that list. So yeah. He's the third-string guy. I think the, out against Michigan, they would be worried about the rookie. A couple other guys to, to talk about, uh, Robert Hainsey at, at right tackle, um, injury, lower leg injury, I presume a, a, a calf strain. That's what, yeah, that's what Brian Kelly said. They're going to get MRI, which I'm sure that we'll hear about this week. I mean, to me, that could be pretty friggin' significant. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, I think it was kind of glossed over after practice. Like, guys, yeah, fine. It affected the scrimmage. Yeah. If you have if you have an MRI, there's a chance that an MRI might show something that you don't want. I to mean, see. you don't. You do not. You do not want a Tommy Kramer playing every snap at right tackle against. You know, I, I mean, I would. I actually would anticipate Aaron Banks getting some snaps if you if you have to ask Tommy Kramer to play 75 snaps against Michigan. I'm not sure at right tackle and specifically right tackle. I'm not yeah, sure that he's right. I'm not sure he's ready for that. So that's that's something uh, to keep an eye on. Rulin played. Trevor Rulin played some right guard. Um, Josh Lug did as well. Josh, but mostly it was Rulin from what I was able yeah. to track. Right. So that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, Jamie and Franklin in some one-on-one situations. 
Um, looked very good against yeah. backup competition, but looked right. very good. He's not supposed to look good against Sam Mustafer. He's supposed to look good against back. Well, he he looked really good against backups, and that's what you're looking for at this point for a, a player like Franklin. Yeah. Can he at some point keep pushing and pushing and pushing and join the varsity earlier than you thought he would? They, they're they're set. They're they're top four inside. Those guys are playing. MTA and Heinish are playing behind Tillery and Bonner, and that's a nice setup. So they get Franklin in there. Jason Adam Lolo's got some cl- time. Yeah, he's, he's close. I mean, he's, he's close. with the twos. Yeah, he's uh, ahead of Franklin. Franklin just sure. really flashed and looked good yeah. against backup competition, and that was something that caught my eye because I didn't go into practice wondering yeah. how Jamie and Franklin was going to I look. Mean, that's like what I'm most interested in the freshmen is it. Yeah, I like to track how they perform and do they deliver or do they not. But like, who do the coaches think is worth putting out there against the second team or maybe even the first team? Because. I think the guys that fall in that group, Jason Adamalola was one, based on what we saw Houston Griffith, obviously, uh, when when healthy. Kevin Austin is far and away the best of the five freshman receivers based on who he's working against. Um, I spent some time talking to Troy Pride about Austin. He's like, you know, I, he said he went up to Austin, basically said, yeah, I want to work on some releases. Can we warm up, you know, do some do some routes? And he's Pride just says, like, okay, this is for real. Like I expected to sort of jog through this. No problem. Um, so I think there's a lot of optimism that Austin is a guy that can be your fifth, sixth receiver. That would be a, that would be a good position for him when the season started. Um, I have a hard time seeing him being any lower than that based on how he reps in practice. I mean, he's in tempo drill. He's the only freshman out there with at the wideout position. And then in the scrimmage, he got real work with the twos as well. Caught uh, the 15-yard yeah, touchdown. Yeah, Lawrence Keyes got one. some second-team work on Thursday. Yeah, but that Lawrence Keyes was a guy that I felt like we were watching hit the wall a little bit on Saturday. He had three drops that I counted. Yeah. But it's, After I think, really and his, excelling. And, he's, and his, a lot of his time is contingent upon Michael Young's health, yeah. probably, as well. Yeah, where no one, I don't think anyone's saying, like, well, Kevin Austin's in there right. because someone else is injured. He's just ahead of all the other guys. So I, I think Austin is, I think, in the in the freshman class, is probably the most interesting guy going into yeah, the season right I, now. Wilkins Jr., yeah. uh, Joe Wilkins Jr. flashed on Thursday, but I think... I it's think kind that, of against the twos. Yeah, right? I mean, I didn't. I, I did, a lot of people were asking Joe Wilkins questions afterwards, and I, I don't see a ton of burst. And he, he's a bigger receiver, but he's six one and a half. I, I'm not. I, I just I don't think that that was a real accurate indicator. He but what you're saying about Austin, and, and I think the keys to some extent that's yeah, true. Shane Simon clearly is only with the twos yeah. now because Owusu Karmo is hurt. And it's like when we get into these press conferences, I, I think people read quotes about freshmen and they don't really know what was asked. Sometimes the the quote about a freshman is just a general question about how this position developing, and then sometimes it's just a specific question about hey, could you talk about player X? And I think in the case of Joe Wilkins. Joe Wilkins wouldn't have come up unless a reporter asked, Correct. could you comment I about agree, Joe yeah. Wilkins? Whereas I think Shane Simon, Griffith, Austin, um, I think Keyes was asked about specifically, but I think he probably would have come up anyway. Uh, he had a very good start to the yeah, game. Yeah, so that's, I, th- I think, yeah, Simon, Austin, Jason Adamall, Houston Griffith, I think those guys are sort of bubbling up right now right. Uh, in let's, class. Let's jump into the quarterback situation. A lot was made uh, of a segment we saw early in the practice on Saturday where Brandon Wimbush and, and I mean, let's. There's a lot of misinformation here. I think that we need to kind of weed through a little bit. It wasn't a warm up. It was part of practice when he was taking a three step drop and having to throw a 12 to 15 yard out. Hot read because there was an unlocked Correct. defensive right. end named Tommy Reese yelling. And yeah. that's what it was. That's, it was that. Tommy Reese yelling. And, 
and he's throwing to these targets on a net. He's not hitting the targets, and he's not hitting the net. And and I don't want to, I don't want to overplay it, but I don't think I don't think it's overplaying it when a senior can't hit a net, a good size net that you're that you're running a drill with. And if you're going to do that on Saturday afternoon in Notre Dame Stadium with 25 people there, you're going to do it in a game situation. Are you, O'Malley, are you suggesting? That a screaming Rayshon Gary would be more intimidating and distracting than a screaming Tommy Reese? I think so, but I don't know. I didn't. I, now, look, he missed the net, and we all laughed because it's kind of funny that Brandon Winbush missed the net. But then we stopped laughing when he was missing the standstill receiver by a lot on so those five flare. or six times. Yeah, it's like so they run these flare routes, yeah. which is basically the running back is split to the quarterback. This is yet is, another time where he's missing. Yeah, I'm not, this is I was referencing the standstill guy okay. with screaming Tommy Reese. Yeah, You're referencing good. flare routes. Yeah, he was behind them. I mean, there was a ball that hit the turf and then bounced into the stands. Um, you know, he was overthrowing, underthrowing. It just it didn't feel like anything was building off what had happened before. And when I, I wrote about Wimbush over the summer, it was just like that was one of the realizations that he had. And Taylor Kelly, who worked with him, had was just like he didn't know why something went right and he didn't know why something went wrong. It was like each throw was independent of what had just happened. It will be independent of what happens next. And you can't you can't run an offense that way. Um, so it's like how much do you want to read into what we saw Saturday? I think a significant amount. In the off season, I probably said on this podcast, I made a, a deal with myself that I wasn't going to read too much into what we saw from Wimbush in August. But I, my perception was I wasn't going to read too much into like good stuff, a bunch yeah. of great practices, yeah. like everything's fixed. So I'm going to hold myself to that standard and not read too much into some of the bad yeah, things that fair. we've seen. Um, and it's not like he went out in 7-on-7 and 11-on-11 and went 0-22 uh, with three picks. I don't think he had a pick at all on Saturday. If I remember correctly, nor do I. I if there was, there, there was a drop pick, but he also had a couple yeah, touchdowns. Derek, Derek too, Allen so. had a near. Derek pick. Allen should yeah. have an interception. Yeah. So but this is you're supposed to throw a pick in seven and seven, eleven, eleven, and 150 throws. So yeah. it's okay. That's <laughs> not. That's going to happen. Is, I'm mean. glad you said that because because again, we're looking for perspective here. Over the course of an entire practice, when we have an opportunity to see it, they are throwing 150, 200 passes. Yeah. So there are going to be some bad ones in there. He unfortunately, and the receiver's going to drop a couple passes. He too. unfortunately, for the worst drill I assume of his life, was directly in front of all of us, <laughs> and he came closer to some of us than he did the target on a couple passes. Yeah. That's the problem. That is, I mean, you're was, not supposed to do that. It's like a you watch him uh, in the one the individual drills, and then you watch him in team settings. And if you put it in basketball terms, it's a guy that shoots I don't know forty two percent from three point range, but also forty two percent. On free throws. It doesn't make any sense um, why he can do more athletic, harder throws, seemingly more consistently than the easy, easy basic throws that you should hit at 95%. You just described John Mooney. Okay. <laughs> who is still, who I just, still struggles. Open the door for Priester to yeah. steer this into basketball. Yeah. Let's talk more about John Mooney against yeah, North yeah, Carolina we'll, last year. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll get past yeah. that. But, um, yeah, so I don't – I mean, I. it's not an overreaction when a senior – when your senior starting quarterback – can't hit the net. That's not an overreaction. What I do think is an overreaction is to say, see, he shouldn't be the starting quarterback. It needs to be Ian Book. Or some people are even suggesting Jerkovic. Boy, the team would love that, right? You got you have a veteran defense, and we're going to throw a freshman out there. We don't even know if you can get him in the right pass protection, but we're going to throw Phil Jerkovic out there. A couple of things. I, like When we were talking earlier about you understand how the coaches think of freshmen based on their reps, how they think of Phil Dracovic is 
mop up duty at most because he does not get reps in seven on seven or eleven on eleven from what we've seen the last last couple. I would say if Wimbush continues to have practices like he did on Saturday, if I'm Ian Book, I don't know how you wouldn't look at the situation and be like, should I get a shot here? Like, don't don't sure. I deserve at least yep. a, a look? Um, but that Brian Kelly said himself. We'll have to take him as work because we were not out of practice on Friday. Then on Friday, Brandon Wimbush was really good. And I did um, kind of follow up on that, and someone said he was really good. So and, was, and, sa- and Saturday, and was, yeah. Ian Book was really he good. He was right. mainly good Thursday, too. Yeah, oh, yeah. Thir- uh, yeah both of them, yeah. actually. Yeah. I thought they were... So we'll see on Wednesday. They'll break the tie. I do want to <laughs> say... We'll just, and then we'll name our starter. I, I, I do want to... And, and this is... I, I mean I mean no disrespect towards you, Pete, because I know you interviewed Taylor Kelly and did a great, you know, a great yeah. story on all that. Having been in coaching, I'm up to my neck in pitching coaches and hitting coaches and quarterback <laughs> coaches and mental coaches. And, and I get all that. I, I understand the need for all that. And yeah. it's good. I mean, it's good for the game long term. But, you know, these guys never will give an uh, – I mean, I guess I, maybe Taylor Kelly gave you a little bit of critique of what Brandon Wimbush did or didn't know. And, and Yeah, I mean, he, he talked about physically he, he was overstriding, um, you know, his posture was bad. But he, he also – I mean, I thought the most interesting thing that came out of that story was the fact that he said that Brandon Wimbush couldn't tell you why a throw was good or why a throw was bad. Because I think every time we watch a player do something good, we think that he meant to do it. Yeah. And every time it's bad, sometimes it's, a, it's it just, a mistake that can be corrected. Sometimes it just comes out of his hand and goes to the receiver. It's just a pull of the slot machine. And whatever <laughs> happens, happens. You don't really know. Like that, it was kind of one of those stories I did. I'm like, okay, I feel like I learned a lot about this. But at the same time... I'm not sure anything from a was it is it fixed is it not there was nothing that I wrote that I, that I would have in conclusion Brandon Wimbush is going to be yeah. totally fine yeah they just felt confident that he had sort of figured out how to self correct but I'm not sure that we've really seen that well self I mean self correct is uh, I mean I guess part of that is mental but it's also you know falling back on your technique and and what have you but. Right, it wasn't admitted attempt. it's mental. He has Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't we're, we're not talking he's, we're not talking about technique issues. Yeah, he's come around. He's on come that. around on it being mental. He said that he, Brandon improved his technique <clears throat> on screen passes. Now it's the athletic hot reads, which I guess is one when Tommy Reese is yelling at you and you have to change your arm angle. Right. But that's an athletic read. And the swing passes are because you do he was taking two steps to the right and throwing on kind of on the move on those swing passes, so I guess that's part of an athletic throw too. You just don't think of Boy, he came uh, not making athletic throws like Kelly Brandon Wimbush because he's such a good it, athlete, but it's yeah, a different it's world. Just, of I throws, mean, it's but. ridiculous to think in those terms. It's just complete the pass. You know, I mean, I, I just I, at this and look, and I realize that. No, you I'm know, with like, you. Like, it's like, crazy. You know, we're Dr. talking about Dr. this. Dr. Selking has done great things with this team. I'm sure. I mean, across the board, mm-hmm. but you can't expect her or or Taylor Kelly or anybody else to solve everybody's problems. And, and it, this is this is this is on Brandon Wimbush. It is, you know, you know. To wrap that part about Wimbush and those drills, you know who didn't miss those throws? I can give you two people who he, didn't. I can give you three: oh, Ian yeah. Book, Phil Dracovic, and Tommy, Tommy Reese. Reese. Okay. Stood in there and drilled one because those are easy, easy throws. Where the point is, you are supposed to be hitting the hot receiver in the hands with his hands extended to his chest as he's turning. Not just getting it in the general vicinity of his body. Yeah, and I think that's one of those things where we see with Wimbush in the seven on seven and eleven on eleven. There's more of a 
opportunity for the receiver to, to make a play on the ball. You can't point out a touchdown on seven on seven. He just rocketed across the field of 15. It was, it was a red zone, so it was about a 10-yard yeah. throw, crossing route. Receiver's open by the way he should catch them. He was yeah. open. He should hit him, but he unleashed it, and it was easy. Yeah, that, that is that's those, a regular throw for Brandon Wimbush. He just those, fired it to him. Those swing passes, the receiver cannot make a play on the ball and the play be Unless effective. It's right on he time. can make a play on the ball and catch it, but then the play's over because right. he has to turn around right. and do it. So that's right. it. It makes me wonder. Okay, if I'm Notre Dame and I'm watching these drills on tape, this is like, all right, well, that part of the offense we need to like tone down. So like the yes. the, the swing routes to Dexter or uh, Tony Jones or Jafar Armstrong, whoever. That's just not a play that we can have. Now, the wheel routes where the rece- the running back or the receiver can make Gets a play on the ball. Yeah. yeah. Back shoulder throws. It's I just think that, that, quite so, they're, so they're two years in a row, they're not going to be able to throw swing passes to talented athletes coming out of the backfield? Those passes often are described <laughs> as an extension of the running game, so I'm, uh, not, <laughs> I'm not heartbroken about okay. it. <laughs> we, all, we, we have opinions on that comment as well. All right, we'll, we'll be back with questions from our readers in segment two. This podcast is sponsored by Duloc Leadership, an authorized everything DISC partner that uses the suite of DISC assessment tools to help individuals and organizations improve communication and effectiveness. Learn more by visiting ltcmedia.org. Burning up the boards, segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider. We start with a question from CMU Pens fan. Much has been made of Dexter Williams staring down, being suspended for the first four games, as well as Jafar Armstrong and Avery Davis showing some promises. Tony Jones shown much in the practices you have seen, or is it too soon to say what Norton will have with him this year? I'm, I'm on a wait and see with Jones because I was very high on him after last spring and last August. I thought he had a really good August training camp where he was, you know, you kind of judge these guys. He's a redshirt freshman. He's beating Drew Tranquil for a touchdown to, quote-unquote, win the scrimmage at the end of a scrimmage. That's the thing you take note of for a guy like that. He didn't show that in games. <laughs> Priest and I walked out of the Temple game. Notre Dame just destroys them with their offense. And we say to each other, that's the worst Tony Jones has ever looked. And everybody else got to watch him for the first time. Yeah, I mean, yeah it was. It really was. But so I'm on a wait and see with Tony Jones completely. I mean, I, just, I, I think he looks fine, but I, not. He's, he's yeah. not. I mean, he's not a guy. You're not going to ride him to victory. You may, right. you may ride him to, you know, Use clock and run the football in the second he can, half. He but can I catch. Mean, they talk about him being able to catch all the time. Uh, he did have a sixty-yard run with an open hole, but I mean, this is what Jafar Armstrong's big openings usually are—big right. holes that he's running through. He had a sixty-yard yeah. run on Thursday. I just, you know, we we became so accustomed to Josh Adams snapping something off on a regular basis that I, and, unless it's Dexter Williams, I don't think that we're going to see that this year. Maybe, maybe Jafar, you know, maybe Armstrong and, and Davis. But again, I personally, I want to say this about Avery. Have any of you still seen Avery Davis really, really make a play? He looked pretty fast. Now, this is an interesting note. I'm not talking about whether he looked fast. On a kick fast. return, on a live kick return. Okay. He, he looked yeah, fast he on looked a live good. kick return. On kick returns on Okay, Saturday. but I'm talking I'm talking about running back. Have you seen him make Not against a, the defense, that's the difference. In the spring. He scored, I mean, it was like a 7-on-7 seven seven yeah. from the 10-yard right. line he scored. But. Okay, I'm just, just saying that, that I personally have not really even – I mean, I know there was a lot of talk in the Bulldog goal game. I'm not sure really anything stood out. Maybe I'm missing something or my memory is escaping me here, but I don't know. But anyway, um, I wanted to say, I talked to Tony Jones the other day, and I said, you know, you're you're listed about the same weight you were last year. He was listed at 220, and he's now 218. He said, well, I was really 230. And I said, well, you know, how much quicker are you? Well, I probably ran a 466 last year, 
And I'm probably down in, I think he said 458 or 459. So that is, that's, that's not a blazer. Tim and I, you, uh, Tim, you and I commented at Culver that, uh, you know, we, we immediately looked at him and said, wow, he looks a lot trimmer. Yeah, he did. And he's he 12, did he is, so he's 12 pounds less, contrary to what was, how he was listed last year. I don't know that he looks that much quicker to me. I don't know about you. He didn't in scrimmage. Yeah, he was getting hit by Tavon the, Coney all the, the time. The main thing leader. is, yeah, let's, yeah. Yeah, let's see him when he's healthy. If he can string together a few weeks with him being healthy, then I think we can we can judge him with some accuracy. Because, Pete, didn't a coach tell you, you guys weren't totally wrong on Tony Jones last year? He just, once he got yeah. hurt, he was not he couldn't do it anymore. Yeah, he didn't handle the rehab process right. like like an upperclassman, yeah. probably because he wasn't one. Yeah. Um, so I give him a little bit of a break remember, there. Remember but, being in the bowels of uh, at the stadium at Boston College and they were carting Tony Jones past us? It was a beautiful metaphor for a season because it was going nowhere and just in circles. <laughs> I mean, that was, that was, yeah, that was bad. But, you know, Tony, Tony Energy looks leaner. I never thought he was going to be, um, you know, a breakaway back or a 20 carry back. I thought he was a good complimentary guy. Um, unfortunately, that's not what Notre Dame can afford him to be for the first four games of the season. And I think, you know, you look at the, the running backs, if we're Tony Jones, Dexter Williams, Avery Davis, Jafar Armstrong, two of them haven't played, but they all four have something in common where they've had injuries. And that's, that's just a tough way to go into the season not feeling like you have, I mean, you mentioned Theo Riddick, uh, Brian Kelly's comparison. Theo Riddick ever have an injury in, that he, if he didn't did, he ran play right, through? If he did, he ran through it. Yeah. Um, they really need somebody to be a workhorse. And I think that that was a real frustration on the, within the program last year that the running backs weren't tougher dealing with injuries. Uh, you know, even Josh Adams at the end of the year was wearing down. Um, they were frustrated with that. So they they need Jones, Williams, Davis, Jafar Armstrong. Well, they need Jameer Smith and, and he's in, Flemister. And to, I know that. Well, I know those guys have been hurt. I, too. I know, yeah. but yeah. they're going to have to continue to get reps. And because if those... You've got six, and you may have you may over the course of a long season. If it's anything like last year, you you may need all of them, or yeah, certainly most just, of them. They need more of a, a grit and a toughness from that room um, than they got last year. Yeah. So if if they don't get it, could be could be a challenge for Brandon Wimbush. Henny three hundred. How will Miles Boykin and Chase Claypool match up with the Michigan cornerbacks? Lavert Hill and David Long are both listed at five eleven. They're both good five eleven cornerbacks, but these two are gonna make plays, right? Yeah. That's that's how they're gonna match up. Well, they're gonna they're gonna press the hell of them at the line of scrimmage. I mean, the best way if you're giving away size is to the best way to disarm them is to press them at the line of scrimmage and see how they react to it. Now they've got, you know, Boykin and Claypool are certainly big enough and physical enough to handle that. You would think, but not many people handled those two cornerbacks last year. I don't think this is coach speak from Chip Long because he brought out a negative we didn't know about. He said Miles Boykin. Until most of last year, until near the end of last year, Miles Boykin was not strong enough and did not have the technique to beat press coverage. And now that he, now he says he he consistently beats press coverage. So he's we're going, about to see it in a, in he's a going really to big face Some of the best yeah. press coverage there will be in college football this year. Claypool, I'll be intrigued to see him beat press coverage because boy, when you give him a step, he he climbs the ladder like they used to say. When he gets one step on you, it is. His acceleration is incredible. He ran past, this is Chase Claypool in a nutshell. Thursday, he ran past Sean Crawford in press coverage. He got one step on Crawford, and all of a sudden with those strides, he was three yards past him. 
Then he cut inside for his dig route and quit on the route, and Sean Crawford intercepted it. But boy was boy was Chase Claypool open at the beginning of that route. That's that was the that's Chase Claypool right now. He yeah. quit on the route. Sean Crawford didn't. It was a pick. He lost Sean Crawford at the beginning of the route. It you was know, gone. When you're when you're facing corners that are this good and press, um, you know you're going to see back shoulder throws. Yeah, you know stuff like that to try to jump ball type throws. To, to try to compensate for, for what two solid opponents are doing to you. At least if they press, you can't throw as many bubble screens. It's right up on you. Look, the back shoulder <laughs> throw, that's a that's a pass I think Brandon Wimbush, I would feel confident in throwing. I agree. Back. And the kind of pass that he hit Claypool line at Michigan State last year, where he's just sort of like kind of falling out of bounds, difficult catch, let him go up and make a play. I think that's there's some good stuff there for, uh, for Wimbush and for Boykin and Claypool. Dip 98, in your opinion, why have Julian Aquara and Khalid Kareem blossomed into legit pass rushers while Dalen Hayes has remained an enigma? Hmm. I mean, it's isn't this a... I think in the case of Kareem, it's a it's a playing time issue where we've just... There's more on tape with Dalen Hayes than Khalid Kareem or probably... Or even Julian the, Aquara. So we just, like, we have, we have a lot more to pick apart yes. with Dalen Hayes than we do uh, those other two. I do think it's very strange how productive Julian Aquara was last year in limited reps. I think that I had a, I had him, I think he played maybe 100 fewer snaps than Dalen Hayes. It was about but, 150, actually. But had your... three times as yeah. many quarterback pressures. So, riddle me that. Yeah, Aquara was, was second on the team in pressures, I, I believe. I don't have the stats right in front of me. He was second to Tillery. He made yeah. plays. Mike Elston said in the spring, Julian Aquara made more plays than Dalen Hayes. Dalen Hayes has to make more plays. And you know who's out there more. One thing I'll say in Hayes' defense, and this is Pete's longstanding theory, shoulder injuries in high school, he he could not do anything as a he freshman. He barely played in high yeah, school. He, he barely played in high school. He had shoulder injuries. He said that last spring, we just interviewed him, last spring he got up 225 pounds 11 times. 11 times as a starting drop-in. I thought it was his freshman year was the 11 times. This, well, oh, was it freshman year? I think it was freshman this year. Was, this spring was 31. Yeah. He's naturally he, he naturally he is stronger. I saw a good rep against Kramer. This might not bode well in case Haynes is not around, but I saw a good rep against Tommy Kramer in one on one when Kramer's playing right tackle. Hayes used his power to kind of leverage Kramer and put Kramer down on his knees. It would have been a quarterback pressure. It was a it was a nice rush by Hayes. But to answer the question, we also had higher expectations for Dalen Hayes than Julian Aquara. Yeah, I mean I think it's he's was sort of a victim of uh, his rivals ranking. Yeah. You know. He, yeah, Kareem you, just makes plays. Yeah, right? Kareem, well, Kareem had in small re- samples, but right, yeah, Kareem had ridiculous numbers in high school. I mean, ridiculous yes. tackles for loss and sacks. I mean, even you know beyond what the normal great player does in in high school. I, you know, I don't. I mean, I Dalen Hayes does still have two years left to play. I mean, I don't think it's in, certainly you're not writing the guy off. Oquar's calling card is his ability to to come off the edge, and so. He's great at that, and Kareem, who always insisted that he was not an interior player, I think we now see why because, yeah, yes. I mean, he can really get after the quarterback, and and, uh, and and his role is going to, it's not just going to be getting after quarterback because a lot of times you can put, you know, Hayes and O'Quarr on the field on the opposite sides at the same time. I'm sure they'll keep Kareem in the game in those situations. We saw a little nickel, and um, Hayes and Crawford came in for Bonner and Bilal. So you did have Kareem Hayes, right. Aquara, and yeah. Tillery. So as your basically yeah. as your front. However, you and I still that. I still stand by the, the the notion that I think at times Tillery and uh, Tagovailoa most will play at the same time uh, yeah, on, on the inside yeah. if you if you need some pass rush and pass rush uh, 
situations. Thread level midnight 44. The question is, has Asmar Bilal shown that he can improve, or is he pretty much just maxed out? I don't know if I have an answer for this one. I, said, <laughs> I want to watch Asmar Bilal against Michigan. Because I don't think it's as easy as Brian Kelly says that if you want to go big against us with two tight ends, we'll play Bilal, and if you want to spread us out, we'll play Crawford. Sometimes when you go big, you got to cover still. I, look, he <laughs> said that last year, yeah. and it was Tranquil and uh, Bilal. And the, the, the same quote about the same position, but it was, if, well, if you want to go big, it's Bilal, but if you want to spread it out, it's Tranquil. Well, not everyone tried to spread out Notre Dame, but Tranquil never came off the field. He looks a little robotic dropping to me in the in the flat. Well, here's a curl. For, that's one way of saying my I've never coached a defender to drop him the curl, but he doesn't look natural doing it to me. A, a real quick aside. Have you seen that, that the Giants are trying to move Romeo Cuaro from a 4-3 defensive end to a 3-4 outside linebacker? Mm. <laughs> Makes you wonder because that was not a natural thing for, for Romeo. But here's the thing with Bilal this year. You know, his backup is a guy that's built comparably, only he's a former safety and has experience as a, as a pass rusher. This is maybe a lot of Don't you think that Shane Simon is actually is the best of all worlds here for Notre Dame? Because he's at, athletically more similar yes. maybe to yeah. Crawford, but size-wise is closer to Bilal. Yeah, that's where, that's where I think Bilal is, uh, could be in a little bit of trouble with Shane Simon. And, of course, we know in nickel situations he'll come out. Tim, you and I were talking about this the other day. On every offense or defense, there's the weakest link. Somebody had right. Yeah, Somebody yeah. is the weakest link. Who is that right now? No, it's Asmar Bilal right yeah. now for sure. The defensive line, I like the first level and the second level, or what they're supposed to be. The second level, Tranquil and Coney. There's no one. Yeah, you might get, you, you, could, you could probably say, "What about Bonner?" But Bonner, yeah, Bonner holds job, a, right. Yeah, he holds his point of attack. His job is easier than well, not easier. It's easy, well, it, it is now a nose. I mean, as far as mobility, it's not easy to hold your point of attack necessarily. No. It knows. I'm not saying that he doesn't have as much going on as Bilal pre-snap. As he does. Right, probably a lot harder to play nose tackle actually. Yeah. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's definitely Bilal, and I'm sure the coaches feel that this is the guy that we may have to watch against Michigan and see if they are targeting Bilal on. Throws might have curl, been, right? might have been able to make an argument for that being Jalen Elliott, but now Nick Coleman is is getting those number one reps. So, yeah, I mean, I you know, Blouse, he's going to have to improve because uh, he's got a really good freshman right on his tail. Rutgers 33 hot. Brian Kelly hasn't typically had great quarterback play during his tenure at Notre Dame. How much of that should be blamed on him? Well, the head coach, take, the head coach is responsible for everything, so... It starts with him. Certainly, it starts with him. Um, you know, I, 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 I think when you let's let's look at let's look at Dane Christ. Um, Brian Kelly didn't handle that situation very well, and that played into Dane Christ struggling. But at yes. the end of the day, yeah. right? At the end of the day, it's still on Dane Christ being able to having a man up and be able to handle coaching hard and whatever the situation. Um, so, I mean, this question is asked specifically because Brandon Wimbush now is struggling. And I just don't, you know, it's not that Brian Kelly's not getting purple in the face screaming at Brandon Wimbush. He doesn't do that anymore. This is Brandon Wimbush. Uh, you know, it's, I, I really think, I, I, in funny, it was funny because I wrote it down Saturday before we saw Wimbush struggle. I really like the way Tommy Reese coaches. I, I, I really do. I can, I can hear a little bit of what, of what he's saying. When you give him an inter- interview situation, you can hear and see how thoughtful of a coach he is. He sees the game on multiple levels. I like him as a quarterback coach. So is he doing a lousy job with Brandon Wimbush, or is this Brandon Wimbush's problem? 
I think it's the latter, generally speaking. It's up to the coaches always to find a solution. That's your job. I don't disagree that he's done generally not done a good job with his quarterbacks. It's actually very hard to recruit quarterbacks and develop them in college because if you look at the top 10 quarterbacks every year, more than half of them transfer by the time they're done, which means something's not going right. And everybody in the world wanted Brandon Wimbush, right? Yes. Everybody in the world wanted Dane Chris. Yep. Well, he didn't recruit Dane Chris. Blake Barnett. Blake, Blake Barnett. Blake Barnett. Most of the time, quarterbacks don't pan out. Yeah. The no. end. <laughs> Most of the time, quarterbacks don't pan out. No, I mean, I, I think that... Well, one plays and the other sits. Yeah, I that's mean, the thing. That, that, yeah. that's, I'm not saying they can't play. I'm saying most of the time it doesn't work out. I Look, did, did Tommy Reese show up here and not develop? Of course not. It's ridiculous. Right, right. He went from a guy who didn't know what he was doing, but figured out how to win four games in freshman year, to, okay, as a sophomore, you know, ends up taking over against South Florida, you know, physically limited, and then his senior year was, was pretty good. They won nine... They won nine games that year. Should have won more, but like he's not somebody who's gonna like really get you out of jail athletically right. because of just who he is. So, you know, Everett Golson was a three star prospect that they went to the national championship. He's, he's the with. oddity of this group in that how much worse he got after a great start to hit what it was his true yeah. senior year. Yeah. It's, That's strange. True yeah. senior year, I'm sorry. Does is there too much on the quarterback here as they get older mentally? Maybe you know I would I would yeah, I would a, love that's... to sit down with Brandon Wilmush for twenty minutes and have like five plays up on my computer and be like just talk me through how this play works like what are you looking for how many things do you have to read because I would bet that we would all be like wow that is incredibly complicated that you had to make twenty two decisions oh, before the snap of the ball and then five after it was somebody in your face so. I don't know. I mean, can you run a system that's easier for the quarterback before the snap? I mean, I, I mean, I guess it's like you you hear like draft analysis of quarterbacks, and it's like, well, he played in a college system that's not going to translate to the pros. And you're like, who cares? He threw for forty five hundred yards and fifty two touchdowns. Like, isn't that the point of college football to be good at college football? I think it's hard for every quarterback now. I mean, the game that you know the 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 Lou Holtz days that I covered. It, it, it it was such a simplistic offensive approach. Yeah, it was light. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was just a, a way more physical game. I don't know that there's any quarterback. I don't know that there's any offense among Power Five or, or Division uh, or, or FBS that that is easy anymore. You get everything is so complicated. All the reasons you're right, Pete. I mean, the the amount of decisions that a quarterback has to make in a in a play in a series in a game it's mind boggling. Yeah. Although, you know, I mean, the, uh, and yet the defense, it's mind-boggling for defenses now, oh, too. Yeah. It's just I mean, at it's such still, it's a different It's an offensive level. game, yet it's mind-boggling. <laughs> it's just a different yeah. game from the past. That's, all, that's the that's the takeaway from this. It's not yeah. Brian Kelly. No, it is a different game from the past. It's just... No, and I get, we're getting back to your point, Tim. I mean, no. Most he's guys, not done, he, he has he, not done a great job no. of, or a good job. Guys most have guys. not continually, Tommy Reese probably got better. But yeah. on the whole, they haven't gotten better. They just haven't. I haven't done this study since, I think, right before 2015. But just looking at... Four years, 40 quarterbacks. The average was coming close to 65% transferred out from their school. Top, yeah, these right. are top 10 quarterbacks, so it's hard to find one. Yeah, I guess it's like, so the counter to this question, or the inverse, would be like, so why are quarterbacks so good when they take the field for the first time under Brian Kelly? Does like does he get credit for that or no? 
Well, he did, no, I mean, your point is that no, he doesn't get credit okay. for it, and 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 you everything you have to take at face value. You should get credit for that. Why did Deshaun Kaiser struggle the second time through and not the first? Because he was thirty pounds heavier. Could be part of it. Will Fuller wasn't there, and it's not so logical. Yeah. But yeah, no, oh, it's, yeah, the it's also part, part of it was on Kaiser. He wasn't the same. The I team mean, stunk. Yeah, but he didn't. I mean, he he definitely. No matter what, he should not have gained that weight. It does, it's 30's not a, it, it's an exaggeration. Not a, yeah, no, he, gained, he weighed 250 pounds as a quarterback his junior year. That's so he gained, he gained at least 20, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but it's like, so why, you know, why was Reese able to win those he four should. games his, his, as a freshman? Why was the Olsen defense able to great. get them to the national <laughs> yeah, championship yeah. game? Why was, why was Malik Zaire, who has accuracy problem, couldn't get on the field at Florida, able to win the MVP of the Music City Bowl and then look like a Heisman candidate against Texas before he got hurt. Like, there, good things have occurred, too. Sure, uh, oh, sure. But I, I agree. It, it, you can't know. But it doesn't occurred, make but, sense why right. it's good at the beginning and then tails No, off. and Golson's the weirdest of all because it was still going well in his what was supposed to be his final year at Notre Dame, and then it just went off the rails in epic fashion that was worse than anyone had played here under Brian Kelly. Joe Schmidt's ankle injury just really he did. He destroyed, it's destroyed Everett Golson. Andy, football fan, how far off is Darnell Yule from seeing any significant playing time this year? Far, all probably the way? further could, now. Couldn't be farther. What's all the way? Yeah, as far say. as all the way. Well, I mean, at least, <laughs> at, at, least after, at least after Saturday, we now know that Jamie and Franklin is likely ahead of him on the depth chart. So, probably some. We Tim, you and I commented. I mean, he, he the the effort we saw him giving the other day looked for him looked to be of a high caliber. I you know I don't he's a couple pounds heavier. Maybe he's strong. He's had, maybe he still he, looks yeah, strong. Yeah, maybe he shifted me. his weight to the good. But it, it's just, it's not happening. He hasn't made any, it, there's no dent he has made. And we get Darnell Yule questions all the time because, partly because of how he was rated, how much we liked him, and the practice report last year where he came off, where he was just a fish out of water in a college practice, and not the way other freshmen are, in that he wasn't changing ends, which, to quote yeah. a famous Tim Priester line from basketball, he wasn't changing ends of practice fields. So he has been a kind of a curiosity on our message board, but he is nowhere near playing this year. You throw me back into basketball now? <laughs> yeah. no, it's, changing I mean, ends was great. <laughs> it's Marty Gavin. Behind Jamie and Franklin and Jason Amalola, depending on whatever position you want to be talking about at that time. So it's, and do Treadway is yeah. involved in this still. Do Treadway is way higher. Yeah, it's him. way higher. Do Treadway get some reps? Do Treadway... I think he lost nine pounds, by the way. When you look at his, uh, that's an interesting. I still think that that's a guy that can help him. There just may be too much competition now, but I still think that's a guy that can play a little bit. Patrick Elam, does this offense need a quarterback who is precise and accurate, Ian Book, as opposed to more talented athlete that struggles with accuracy, Brandon Wimbush? Depends on what offense you want to run. Now, I think somebody was I was in a conversation about this over the weekend, and they're just like, "Well, that just." If you want to run an offense that emphasizes the quarterback running the ball in the read option, deep passes, back shoulders throws, and fade balls, then Wimbush is fine. Um, you know, I think even maybe the slants over the middle are better. But if you want to do, if you're good enough, yeah, if you good. want to run the offense that you ran with Tommy Reese in 2011 and 2013, then Wimbush would be awful. But that's not what they want to do. They want to run more of a quarterback as a running threat. I mean, that's 
Yes. Wimbush's 14 rushing touchdowns don't get talked about nearly enough, in my opinion. No, we bring it up here a lot. We've been we've been no, talking we, about... Yeah, red zone. We've yeah, been yeah, red we, zone We stats. love that, guys. I, we wouldn't be talking about Brandon Wimbush at all but after his saying, running ability. Like, when when there's, it's the discussion of the criticism of Brandon Wimbush, I think the 14 touchdowns often are like just ignored entirely, where it's like that has to be all part of the package. Well, I think the eight games prior to November are ignored a lot yes. as well. That's... He was really good at Michigan State. He was really good against U.S. I mean, everybody was really good against but USC. Like the, but the Michigan yeah, State game is a, the perfect example of the offense that Notre Dame would like to be running. It was some deep shots, some sideline stuff, maybe a couple seam routes. I think that was a Durham Smythe had a really great catch that yeah. was way too high for him, um, but he was able to make make that play, which I think Komet and or Mac could make this year. And then it was a lot of running. I mean, you had the um, spread it out. I think the first touchdown of the game was a beautiful two-by-two two spread wide out, and then Wimbush just ran up the middle around Mustafer yeah. for a 15, 20-yard touchdown. If that's the offense that you want to run, then Brandon Wimbush is absolutely your guy. I think where you get into problems is you try to run your ideal offense that's on your play card opposed to what your real offense is based on who your quarterback is. I think this is a good question because – I. I think you have to ask, how good is the Notre Dame defense? I mean, I think that, that you could reach a point where that matters. If you have a if you have a defense that's giving up 18 points a game, well, then then you are a little bit more inclined to go to a game manager, a guy that's not going to turn the football over because you don't have to score as many points. I'm not saying they're going to do that. And the, the, the amount of points that they scored last year with Brandon Wimbush as their quarterback until November, until yeah. they really struggled, um, you know, was very high. Was the highest of the, was, yeah, was the highest the of the, yeah. So, and, and, and certainly, obviously, the highest of the Kelly era. So, you know, that kind of comes into play, I think, when, when, when you ask this question or when you try to answer this question. We have uh, one more question, Tim. Daniel Squeery, in your few practice viewings, have your expectations for the season gone down or improved? I think we, I think we get this question every year. And I think, I mean, I don't, I don't think mine generally sways much. In the preseason, mine must uh, sway until like the last week. Then I started thinking about it. <laughs> when you yeah. haven't seen anything, <laughs> you haven't seen anything. I'm like, you know what? And I'm then, gonna overanalyze. And then eight and four yeah. becomes ten and two. I, I tend to, yeah. I mean, I tend to certainly raise it, but I, I don't know that anything's really changed a whole lot. I think you know, I feel like the defense is still going to be the the backbone of this this program. I didn't expect to see Brandon Wimbush have trouble throwing a football the other day, but I know that he's still dynamic and they can still do some things. Offensively, I still have questions about the offensive line. I don't think anything. I mean, other outside of significant injuries, I don't think anything really changes my mind a whole lot in the preseason because I think we go in with a pretty good understanding of what they have. You know, it's it's yeah. And and when they're and when they're higher rated in the preseason, we know they tend to to underachieve. And here they are, what sixteenth or somewhere in, in the top 20, 20. Um, my opinion doesn't generally change a whole lot. It hasn't changed, certainly hasn't changed this preseason. My opinion of the defense has improved because I now I believe in the secondary more. I, I Troy Pride has jumped in my estimation. Nick Coleman and Alohi Gilman. It's better than when I was thinking it would be. I'm not sure who it's going to be plus Gilman. And if, with Houston Griffith, once Houston Griffith is back healthy. That's still a three by two for me. I think he supplants yeah. Jalen Elliott. I think Elliott's going to have a role in the team, of course. But so the, with the with the secondary and the nickel and all that stuff looking better, I have, I am more impressed with the defense. I, I haven't changed too much on the offense because I don't put it all in one bad, terrible, one terrible practice for Brandon Wimbush uh, changing things. I don't I don't think 
he's going to be a 60% passer. I've always long said, what was it, 57, 58, and Notre Dame's contending. Don't mm-hmm. make, don't have calamitous games. Like, don't, you don't go lose a game as Brandon Wimbush, and he's going to win plenty. But he's not a game manager, but he can lose you games. We've seen it. But he can also win you games with his legs. I'll take 55%. Yeah, 55% with just none of the frustrations of it's third and one, how do you miss that type of things. You, you know, it, it, the percentage, it's, it's also the timeliness of it, right? <laughs> yeah, when yeah when you he make hit the all the important play. passes against right. Michigan State, it's not like it yeah. was a clinic out there. It's just that every time <laughs> he needed to make a play, he made a play. So if he does that a lot, I like the offense. I think I'm the same, but like if you sort of unpack that a little bit, cornerback is I'm much more yeah. optimistic about corner, and I think the defense overall, and then I think I'm less optimistic about the offense, even though I think Chase Claypool's development is is significant because I coming out of spring, you're like, is this guy going to get it or is he not? And I think. It's he's got it. Um, so that's then Wimbush has been less than I would have expected. I think running backs about the same tight end. Tight end I think will be the surprise position of this year when we're talking and doing podcasts in November. I think cornerback we sort of baked in the improvement there now. Now we have um, yes, yes. But I think tight end by the end of the year people will be like, wow, that was that was really a Notre Dame a classic Notre Dame tight end group in terms of how productive they are. I wrote last week you could take now. There's a pecking order, but you could take two tight ends right now, take them off the field for the season. Those other two tight ends will do fine. Mm-hmm. That, so that's depth. Now, of course, there's a difference between one and four, but they do fine, right? So you're thinking in your mind, what if you drop Komet and, and Joe and Mac? That, that's worse, but what if you just drop any two tight ends um, the other two do fine? That's I, I think I disagree with you there because I think Komet, is, by the midseason or maybe even by the Michigan game, will be like, that guy is a stud. But the backup tight ends are good. They're good too. That's, yeah, that's They're that's how too. I feel about. It. So I just you, think you don't it's have like, to have all studs. You're going to trot out Mac, Komet, Claypool, Boykin at the same time. Brandon Wimbush doesn't need to be all that yeah, accurate he, in he, that scenario. He shouldn't be using his right arm very much either. He's just run as much yeah. as he possibly can. So. You can run behind yeah. those guys on the perimeter, or you can chuck the ball up and figure out who the five ten DB is out there and just pick on him all day. Like that's. I think you can you can simplify things with that amount of height and that amount of catch rate is out there. All right, that's it for our Monday edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. We have Media Day on Wednesday, the 15th. Bear in mind that practice reports and all that kind of stuff has to come well after the Media Day interviews, so bear with us. We'll get our information up on that day, and then we'll have another podcast on Thursday, August 16th. This has been Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com.